Welcome back. This is an episode number 52 of the show. I'm Sergey, and this time I am speaking to a marketer, the CEO of a company called Refine Labs in Boston, Chris Walker. Chris is the most committed marketer I had opportunity to meet and chat over Zoom by far. He knows tremendous amount on B2B SaaS marketing, why it's working, what's not working, how he can improve. But what was more interesting for me is how he was able to learn it, his process of learning, his methodology, some of the principles that he applied were truly, truly fascinating. We also spent time on hypothetical questions and really to dive into Chris's mindset, how he thinks, what stuff he executes, how he prioritizes the time, what some of the things that he says no to, and what shift he made six years before now that he was able to accelerate his growth. I totally, totally love his his insights. I think you guys are going to really, really love this episode. Before we jump into it, uh, if you haven't signed up for my email list with my weekly tips, tools, and tricks of high performance, and you can do so. You can own my website. It's on sergeyross.live, and then just put in your email address, see if you like it or not. And on this note, here's Chris. So you are a brilliant marketer. I followed a lot of your posts on LinkedIn. They are pretty amazing. Uh, you're the CEO of a company called Refine Labs. Let's start with this question. In the world of total apocalypse, what are you going to do? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh... There's a saying that says you should plan for the worst, but uh, if there's an apocalypse, then we'll find out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, an inter- it's an interesting question, not one I think a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's, uh, that's, totally, that's totally fine. I mean, we'll, we'll let uh, other people figure that out. Tell, tell me about the story where you were presenting or you were about to present uh, this deck and your CEO was uh, chuckling from your the way you were dressed. Yeah. So, um, so just for a little context for people, because um, I was a I've worked inside of B two B companies for seven years and developed my skills there, and now I work with a lot of companies that are just like the companies that I worked for as an employee, which gives me a lot of context for what's going on in their world organizationally and what they have to deal with. Um, on people not you know not believing in marketing or not how to do it or not investing appropriately in it, so I understand all of those different um, those different factors, and uh, and so yeah, um, I worked at a company. It was an incredibly sales driven company. Um, they spent uh, about ten, maybe twelve x uh, more on sales every year than than marketing. It was a very traditional go to market strategy. Um, and with the, uh, the $500 budget that I was given to test, uh, to Facebook ads, I eventually turned into managing, uh, more than a million dollar budget within 12 months by simply generating results. So that budget grew, uh, quickly as the revenue started to come in because the strategy was a better approach for how to go to market that augmented the sales team and got more revenue. And so when you're doing this stuff, um, eventually you need two things. You need to have you need to have an accelerated 
content model and you need to have more budget to amplify the content to people or it's going to plateau. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had reached a point where it was clear that it was plateauing. I was going into uh, an executive leadership meeting at the next quarterly planning to say, hey, listen, like, um, you know, we are approaching, you know, 70 net new accounts, large accounts, 20 to 200K CVs. Like, this is not, uh, this isn't small transactions. And uh, so, about 70 net new accounts, we need, you know, more budget to make this go faster. And so I was like, the, hoping the company would be able to reallocate money from other projects that were being done, which was important. Um, and uh, so I'd spent a lot of time preparing. I thought that I had uh, had done um, considerable work that was positively impacting the company. And then, um, yeah, I uh, the uh, the CEO made a comment on my uh, attire um, because uh, my belt didn't match my shoes, and uh, he didn't he didn't know that I had eighty thousand dollars in student loan debt and was being probably underpaid by about 50% at that time for the contribution that I was making and had not uh, not complained about it. And because I, um, the value that I got out of that uh, experience was the experience being, you know, being with a $30 million company and showing how much of an impact that it can make and having to do all of it myself propelled me to be able to do what I'm doing today. Um, so, but anyway, was underpaid and made a comment about my belt and shoes that I, you know, um, it was not my top priority to have a nice attire. I was working, uh, 70, 80 hour weeks. And so it just felt, uh, it, it, it really, um, rubbed me the wrong way. I think it would with anyone. It discouraged me. Um, and so, uh, you know, I continued, I came out of the meeting, had gotten the, um, had gotten the funding that I was asking for, which is about another quarter million dollars to run the program. Uh, the results continued to scale as I expected, but I, uh, I eventually um, left the company to go do something different. And uh, I think that it, it wasn't the it wasn't the driver. I think that um, some people would say, okay, that's like a little bit um, yeah. of an overreaction for that. But th this was a small small piece of a lot of other things. And so, I mean, the, the take home message is is to uh, to to treat people really well um, and always be respectful um, and recognize that everyone's situation is unique and um, and that uh, you often don't understand it. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of my follow-up questions. You, um, your LinkedIn posts are brilliant. I think uh, not that many people Thank write you. like posts that you want to not just read, not just share, but actually copy paste it and save it uh, as your playbook. Uh, one of them was the recent one that you shared. You actually shared exact steps on how to create a customer story. But you added something that I thought was really interesting. You said, this is what you do. These are the steps. But I know most people will never do it. Why? Because people are um, really like to do what's comfortable and easy for them. There's a very small percentage of people that take new information, translate it to their own situation, 
because sometimes it's not a direct translation, right? You have to actually use that information and then put it into how you want to use it and then actually go and execute it. People love to take idea, read ideas and leave comments on my posts about how great the idea is and they go back and do the same shit that they're always doing. Um, and so I, I just know that because um, I, I literally give away exactly what to do and very, very few people do it. Um, I think there's a couple factors. One is that um, most companies don't think about marketing like I do. Most companies don't score their marketing team like I would score them. Um, and I have empathy for that because in most companies, they wouldn't do what I just said because they wouldn't be able to get a lead and pass it to their sales reps and celebrate. And so you get leads, you just have mm -hmm. to do it in a very different way. And the way that you do it is by educating people instead of trying to convert them. It's actually very simple, um, but the way that people, the way that people are measured um, in in companies drives the wrong activities. Talk to me about: um, Are there any ways to to change that? Or I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people who are um, in marketing, and uh, like you said, they can't say what they want to say on social media because they they, they will be fired. Um, what are some of the things they could do? To, to change that, to change that behavior, then that model. I'm on a mission to change it. Um, and the only way that it gets changed is by influencing the CEO, the CMO, and, and the, whoever's leading sales. It's the only way this gets changed. Um, the mark, I, I have a, um, a respect for the marketing manager that wants to make these changes. I just know practically that it's not going to happen um, because I've been the marketing manager that was generating significant revenue, but the CEO wouldn't change. And so um, that's just a, uh, it's not the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but it's the truth. Um, I have been pushing people very hard to pay close attention to those couple roles of the companies that they want to work at because those three roles influence everything. What um, what makes you excited for right now uh, in marketing? What are some of the things that are coming up that you see that, that, are, uh, that are pretty special? Um, the, the things that I see that are special is that in, if you look at a B2B lens, marketing is finally starting to get the attention that it deserves. Um, if we look back just 10 years ago, marketing was very unimportant to most B2B companies, aside from going to tra trade shows and building brochures and training your sales team. That was pretty much what marketing did. Um, and the smart ones are starting to recognize how important it is, but they are, I, I notice that many companies that recognize that it's important have started to measure their marketing team as if they were an SDR team, either based on MQLs or short-term metrics or things like that. And um, that is completely completely taken from, okay, we were a sales-driven company 10 years ago. We, probably, we still are because we're driving our marketers to do this. 
but now let's have our marketing team do things that salespeople would do, mm-hmm. which is just not the right way to think about it. So I think that the the ex, a couple of exciting things are one, companies are recognizing it's important. An exciting thing for me is that most companies don't know how to do it, don't know how to score it, um, don't know what the right activities are. So that that's exciting for me um, in a in a pursuit to help people recognize the importance and figure out how to execute it well. Um, and the last thing that I think is is that like the story that I told at the beginning, my the company gave me five hundred dollars to test, and I grew that to a million dollars based on results. And so I think that's exciting because the barrier to entry is quite low if you are smart. And there are a lot of big companies that are wasting a lot of money. Um, and so for the $5 million SaaS company that's competing with the billion dollar entity, like you have a shot at taking away market share if you're smart. But most companies do run the exact same play that the billion dollar company is running, which is heavy outbound, uh, product led growth, and, um, and do not, um, do not communicate with the market to start to steal that share. They wait at the bottom for intent-based keywords to come into Google, run Google ads, and then you know win a certain percentage of them. But they, what they don't recognize is they're growing at the exact same rate, if not slower than their their large competitor. They feel they feel great. I think a lot of I think a lot of companies would get value out of this because I've been at them. Mm-hmm. Companies are super happy growing at twenty percent. They don't recognize that their competitors are growing at thirty, and the market's growing at thirty. What do we, so what, leaving, yeah? What could they be doing leaving, differently? Yeah, Sorry, please. what could they be doing uh, in a different way? Because that's such a common thing. You know, running the typical playbook, putting the content aside. Let's get the twenty MQL. Let's get the certain number of leads in a week or in two weeks. The only way to do it mm-hmm. is pay for it, uh, and content is almost like almost always an afterthought. Um, what are they, what are the, what is the other, what, what's the thinking, what's the plan or maybe some of the steps they could be doing differently? I think you need a new playbook. Like, um, I have been trying to push companies to completely rethink how they approach a go to market strategy. Um, because right now it is, um, it, it, the bulk of the actual communication, the actual um, interaction with customers happens through the sales team. It does not happen at scale. And when it does happen at scale, it's to run direct response conversions for things that are going to close at 1%. And so how do you... Uh, it, I'll tell you a really, a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was... Uh, when I was at a company, um, I had never, the first time I was running that 500 test on $500 test on Facebook ads, I ran it on a clinical trial that was published about our product. And it, the intent was literally just to make people aware that the clinical trial came out, that the clinical trial came out and that, um, and that it was shown that our product was superior to the major competitors. Um, the clinical trial was published 18 months before I ran that ad but nobody knew about it. 
because it wasn't communicated effectively. They were waiting for someone to read it in a journal or for the sales rep to try and tell them about the clinical trial when they weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so people really like were re-educated on something that was new because it was delivered in the right way. Now what a SaaS company would do was they would take the clinical trial and they would run it into feed and then swipe up to talk to a rep about it instead of just giving them the information. And so I just gave them the information. There was no call to action. There was no like, come get a demo. It was the first step and people really underestimate what actually goes into a buying process. It is not run a direct response ad for a $30,000 product and they talk to a sales rep and the sales process ends. That is not how it works. Um, And so when I was running these ads, I, you know, 50 people simultaneously, and then you start to get earned media. It's like 100 people on the website at once when normally our website traffic's like five to 10 people at a time. And you got hundreds of people for an entire night if it's $500. And then we start to produce more educational content and have more budget behind it. And you're watching the real-time analytics with like 600 people on your website at all the time. And when you're behind that type of communication strategy, you literally feel like you have the power to change the perception of an entire niche market. Like there was 50,000 people that needed to know about those things and I was producing information rapidly and distributing it effectively and completely changing the way people thought about our little area. And nobody thinks like that. They think about let's figure out how to get an MQL so our sales rep can sell them something instead of figuring out how to completely change the way they think about doing something, which then leads to a lot of organic inbound opportunity with people that actually want to buy stuff and actually want to talk to your reps and actually close fast. Which speaks to the fact that the, the model is broken uh, and the fact that there's a different incentive. The, um, I, I, think, I think saying that the model is broken is overstated. I think that the model needs a, um, a tune-up. I think that it needs. I think that people it it, it needs a uh, a change. It's overweight in sales, the marketing, but it's overweight in sales for a very easy, very clear reason to me. It's so clear. Hmm. The marketing team doesn't know what they're doing. If the marketing team doesn't know what they're doing, then you're going to have to have more salespeople to sell. And so I'm on a mission to show companies how to yeah. market effectively, so that they can have a more effective approach and overall just be more successful long term. You uh, mentioned uh, that a lot of people give opinions about marketing and they never did any work. Is that a common common thing with people? It doesn't really matter if it's marketing or anything else, share opinions and never actually doing it? Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that making a blanket statement like that would be irresponsible. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I have, I have opinions on the way things should be done in certain areas, um, in which I've never, uh, done them, but I've worked with 20 companies that do and I've seen it and I've seen the trends and I know that I have a better way. And so like, yeah, I think that people, um, talk about things that, I mean, a lot of people talk about things that they've actually never done or advice they don't take themselves. Um, but 
in general, I believe that it is the listener's responsibility to determine whether the person giving the advice is suited to give the advice. And then more importantly, how does it relate to your situation? People just take advice directly without thinking about that one situation is different from the other. A lot of the advice that I give is not going to work for a lot of companies for all the reasons I stated. They're measured the wrong way. They don't have the right budget. They don't have the right people. They don't think about it the right way. They have the wrong strategy. Mm-hmm. If, if, I, if you take my advice for face value and go do it, you're going to fail because there, there's it's an ecosystem. It's not just one thing. The same goes for almost anything. I would be curious to hear your answer for this one. What makes the difference between what's the difference between a good marketer and exceptional one? Having a deep focus and understanding on customers. Very few actually do it. Hmm. Uh, what? Very, very few go out and visit 50 of them and talk to them and understand them and focus on them, not on what they want. They're all focused on their leads. They build the book so they can get 50 leads, not build the book so they can help 5,000 people. You uh, do this really interesting uh, mashups, uh, the videos that kind of have a little bit of a vlog type of vibe, but combine different things that you are doing. Um, What's the idea behind those? Where you're in the airport, you're sitting in the room here. Like, what what is the what uh, what's the strategy or the the idea behind those uh, and sharing that on LinkedIn? Purely experimentation. So, um, so I challenge myself to do new things, um, different things. Uh, I think a lot of people got a good response from that because it's unique. Because most people are gonna post a video that looks shitty from zoom and I'm going to just do something that's different. Um, so I think that that's an interesting part. The second part is we're flying and doing client work with video and doing interviews for content and all that stuff. So the additional filming some B roll and uh, a little document of the journey is actually not that difficult. It's just like, it's literally just being smart about the activities that you do. I'll give you a really good one. Mm -hmm. Um, like companies will spend a hundred thousand dollars to an event and then not film any content at the event. Like it makes absolutely no, it makes absolutely no sense that you you're going to present this piece of thing to 200 people at a conference, but you're not going to document it and distribute it to the 200,000 other people that aren't there. Yeah. People just aren't, people just aren't, aren't, uh, aren't smart. They don't recognize how powerful um, content distributed well on the internet is. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. And I, I could tell like your, your, your format is very different. I haven't seen a lot of videos like that. Um, it's not, not very traditional vlog, not traditional uh, Zoom, as you said, and, and other types of promo videos or somebody, a guy talking next to the, the great cubicle. Uh, what would be an advice you give to a 30 year old self? Sorry? Uh, what would be an, an advice you would give to yourself uh, when you were 30? I am 30 right now, so I can just give myself my own advice. Um, <laughs> That's fine. Do you want to, do you want to back it up to like some, some earlier age where the yeah. advice might make more sense? Yeah. Let's maybe go back to, to the time when you were working for that company. 
uh, the story you were sharing earlier? Um, I think for the for the last five years, I have been um, very very focused on getting to where I want where I wanted to be, which is here. Um, so I don't, uh, I actually don't have all that much advice for that situation. I think that I, um, I did the right things. I, I worked really hard. I learned everything that I could. I did everything myself. I figured out what didn't work and what didn't work. Um, one of the things that maybe I would give to offer is that I underestimated how difficult it is to change an organization. Um, and so I feel like I have a much better perspective on what, <coughs> excuse me, what actually goes into that and how difficult it is and not, not being frustrated when it doesn't happen because there are so many factors outside of your control. Mm. Um, and, um, I think one of the things that's just like blanket blanket advice that uh, I've learned a lot recently is that you need to you need to invest in yourself and invest in the things that you want to have happen. So like people probably think it's really stupid that that video that I posted on LinkedIn costs several thousand dollars. I think that it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, most and me myself five years ago would never have done that. Um, and so I made a very, uh, a drastic change maybe when I, maybe a year ago where I started using money for things that would move me forward. Um, and I, I feel like that wasn't very ultimately clear. Um, but I remember how scary it was when I was starting this company to like, buy a software that was a thousand dollars a month. Like, is this going to work? What should I do? Blah, 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 blah. And, um, looking back on it, you just have to be super committed. I think, uh, yeah. Is there a goal goal in mind? I mean, is there, is there an end goal in mind or a vision that helps for what I'm doing right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, the vision in general is to change how com- how B2B companies think about and execute marketing. That is the vision. It can get accomplished in a lot of different ways. We are trying the um, consulting arm that we've built is the first kind of step, the easiest step to get there. Mm-hmm. And we are experimenting with a lot of other ways to make that happen at a larger scale. And so a couple of the things that we're experimenting with is we're doing um, – six events at the beginning of this year across the US. We bring in different speakers on sales and marketing, how they think about building a revenue team. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we film that content and we put the content out. Um, And so that's a different way that we could make more of an impact to more 20 organizations come come to that event. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So that is, uh, that's some of the ways. And then the content in general, I think, could make the most broad impact. Um, but we talked about it at the beginning, 
most people don't use it, but I recognize that and I'm looking for the people that will. Talk to me about the $5,000 investment in the video. How do you justify that? How do you think about it? Because I know a lot of people will think it's just a waste of time, a waste of a lot of money. Um, I believe in it. Um, I, I uh, have gotten to this point right now with no ads, no sales team. I've not made a single cold call. I've not sent a single cold sales email. I've grown considerably because I think about everything differently than everyone else does. I know that by creating good information and knowing how to distribute it so people actually consume it, which then creates awareness of what I do, positions me as knowing what I'm talking about because I do, and then leads to people being aware of me for when they need me, not when I need, not when I want them to need me, when they actually need me, they find me, um, and I'm the first person they think about. And over time, I know that it builds a level of credibility, and then it's up to us to deliver good work, and we do. And when we deliver good work, those people tell their friends. And then when their friends know, when their friends need us, they come here and the engine continues. And I believe that we will build a pretty significant business without ever needing to do any outbound. And I think a lot of sales company, a lot of SaaS companies or tech startups in general should really think about what I just said, because there are $2 million SaaS companies that have raised $10 million that are not growing as fast as we are with 20 salespeople, 10 or 20 salespeople, because the model is what worked 15 years ago. How do you think about distribution? What are some of the questions that you need to be asking yourself <coughs> about to have effective distribution? You create great content, you get a format or you experiment with different formats. What do you need to think about to distribute it effectively? Okay, so when you um, when you have content or you wanna do content marketing and not content marketing where you post a blog and then wait for people to search in Google, that is a, that's SEO, not content marketing. Content marketing is content that be, can distribute across a lot of different channels. Now, in that, you need the content and then you need to figure out how to get people to see it, which is distribution. Um, they need to work together. So if the if the content is a video built for YouTube and then you try and run ads on it on Facebook, it's not gonna work. It's not formatted for the channel, it's too long, it's not uh, the right aspect ratio, people are on their mobile device. There's, there's so many different dynamics that people don't pay attention to. And so over time we figured out, okay, if we're gonna run Facebook, this is what the image needs to look like, Here's what the size needs to be. Here's what the headline should read. Here's what the destination should be. Here are the conversion points that actually work. And you figure it out. Um, and so uh, most people have not even recognized that they should run Facebook ads. And I'm over here knowing exactly what to run, exactly who to target and how to target them, what metrics we should look for at the end to know that it's working. Um, and most people haven't even gotten past that step. They just create a piece of content post on their blog, have their sales team post it on LinkedIn organic and no one gives a fuck about it. Um, and so like, 
uh, that is there's a, there's a massive gap and misunderstanding of how to distribute content, even through, even by the best companies. So I was actually um, I was talking to a billion a billion dollar um, software company mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, they told me they don't have a top of funnel problem, and I told them that they have a communication problem. And so they're trying to move up market right now. There are two big players that have been sitting there forever. So if you get over a certain rev, you get over 50 million in revenue, you're not using their product anymore. You're using their competitors. And they're trying to move up market and they're not communicating well. Therefore, their brand is seen as the same, regardless of how the product has developed, the market doesn't know because they're not communicating. And I was like, I know that you're not communicating because I am your absolute perfect target and I have not seen an ad or post from you guys on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn in over two years. And so, therefore, the market has no idea what you've done in the past two years. You, you don't think you have a top of funnel problem because you're getting organic search traffic from $2 million companies that want you, but you don't recognize that you need to completely change the way that every person you know, that's trying to build or has built a $50 million plus company, you have to change the way they think about you. And you're not doing that. You're waiting on intent-based stuff, mm -hmm. and over time that will play out. You have a significantly better product than your competitor, but nobody knows. Do you, uh, so that's um, Chris, do you, when you are starting out on social media, you're starting out with ads, do you just focus on one platform at a time at first? Do you go after a number of them? Um, like, what, what do you feel? What do you think will be a good approach? This is a great question. So let's look at it above. Let's look at it outside of the context of social, and think about it as as if you were a buyer. Okay, if you're a marketer, um, the first thing that I'm going to do is what I would call fix the bottom. So anything intent based, I'm going to capture right away. So I'm going to do massive CRO on our website. I'm going to make sure that the lead handoffs in place. I'm going to make sure that the sales process is working. The sales team has all the tools they need. I'm going to make sure that I'm running Google AdWords. I'm going to make sure that I have LinkedIn retargeting set up. I'm going to make sure that I have YouTube pre-roll search query retargeting set up. Fix the bottom. That's it. Then I'm going to look. So once you can capture <coughs> the bottom, then you need to spend all your time at the top. And so what people do is they spend all their time on the bottom capturing intent, Captera, AdWords, those types of things, but they never work at the, at the, at the top. So they're, they don't drive people down. And so they're capturing this, you know, they're waiting for intent based stuff for people searching for their things and they're playing with three competitors and they're going to win a certain amount of those deals. And then that's just how it goes. But what they need to do is they need to elevate to the top, which I would consider the best places right now to be, Facebook feed ads and Instagram story ads and LinkedIn organic and and believe it or not email mm -hmm. email works really well um, and so I would fill those four channels with top funnel con thought leader thought leadership anything from a thought leadership piece that has nothing to do with your product to a case study spend time up there job title targeted company targeted however you want to do it for people to actually consume the video, 
not to see it, to consume it, huge difference there, not to see the case study, but to actually read it and consume a message that makes them reconsider how they're doing things today, which then drives people to go to Google or Captera and search for you, not the thing that you do. And then you capture more, and then your bottom start, stuff starts to work better when you spend more time at the top. And so that's the way that I, uh, I think about it. But most companies will only spend time at the bottom because they are sales. And if they do, if they do try, if they use what I would consider top channels, top of funnel channels, social, they're running bottom of the funnel garbage on those channels which is going to get you a lot of MQLs and almost zero sales. And so it helps the marketers feel good that they hit their MQL metric. And I know a lot of, I know a lot of sophisticated companies that still measure on that metric and their marketers celebrate and their sales team hates it because they're talking to a bunch of people that don't want to buy anything. I know a lot of uh, companies have challenges with uh, targeting specifically B2B SaaS uh, on Facebook. What are they doing wrong? What are they not doing? Um, give me a little bit more context. Yeah. So like, yeah. So for example, if you if you are running uh, a, a video ad or you're running a piece of content on Facebook, how do you make sure that you target B two B SaaS companies on Facebook? Because if you look at the interest section, it's not very easy to find specifically B two B SaaS. Um, mm -hmm. and then if you upload the list from your CRM, a lot of times the match rate is pretty low because you need the personal email. Um, but there's definitely ways to do that. I was just curious what you've seen from your perspective that works. So the things that work really well is to think about it less like a company and more like a human. Um, so I'm not targeting B2B SaaS companies. I'm targeting CFOs that likes Salesforce, Tableau, and Saster. That's how you get there, is you can do a combination of job title and interest-based or field of study. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you start, once you have the right audience, which can take some time, there's a nice, this is going to be a nice piece of advice for a lot of people that are sophisticated in Facebook ads. Once you have your audience locked in, and some companies it's very easy, I'm going after I use this example a lot. I'm going after emergency medicine physicians. It's really clear whether that person's emergency medicine physician or not. Their job title, what they studied in, in university, like what professional association they're part of. Those are very. It's a very easy target. You know, CROs at SaaS companies that are 500 people or less is a little bit diff, a little different. Um, so once you're able, and it is possible, to lock in an audience that is responding to the content, most people think that it doesn't work either because they have the wrong objective or the content isn't right, isn't positioned the right way for the distribution. So they actually think, oh, this doesn't work, but they haven't done it the right way. Once you figure out the audience and you know what content's working, there's a nice little button in the ad set that you can hit that says enable audience expansion. And when you do that, that algorithm will find everyone else that you that needs to see that piece of content on its own, you just have to give it the right data in the first place. And so I'll give you a good example. We're selling medical devices to emergency medicine physicians. We are running ads 
at emergency medicine physicians and respiratory therapists and ER nurses. We're getting a ton of inbound flow based on that. And then we have a bunch of budget. I hit this enable audience expansion piece. The, the cost per result drives all the way down to the bottom. So we're paying nine cents a click for this stuff now. And we get inbounds of emergency medicine physicians and the message in the in the inbound demo request is I just had a patient come in that asked to be put on your product. That is how good it is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but people wouldn't know that because they're not practitioners. They haven't actually done it. They, that level of detail is so took years of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to get back to your original question, um, be committed to the strategy, know it's possible test. If you're going after an audience of less than a thousand people, you might be better off running LinkedIn ads or doing something else. Um, I think people, another added point on this is people think that they're going after the CRO. They don't recognize that the director of sales, the sales manager, the SDR, the director of marketing, the marketing manager, the CEO, the director of product, all can influence that person. They think about it way too directly. I'm gonna do outbound and run direct mail to the CRO. When the person actually deciding whether or not to make the product, the CRO might sign off on it, but the sales manager is the one that's deciding. And people think about it, people think about it in, in a way too of a direct way. And I learned this a long time ago because we were trying to sell to whatever, medical directors. And the best performing ad was running at ER nurses because the ER nurses actually had the pain point and had the access to the person. And so, um, yeah, you don't have, especially with Facebook because it's so inexpensive, you do not need to run it to only the decision maker. It actually works better if you don't. Chris, what do you find? And I mean, I love the fact that you mentioned and it's actually applicable to pretty much anyone who does something exceptional is that it took years of work and there's a lot of specific details that you only learn once you run it like like a ton of times. What's your balance or your approach between learning theory, learning from people like you uh, versus actually doing, executing? Um, I think that the easiest way to put it and is that in order to learn something, it's 10% theory, it's 20% of watching somebody else that's very good at it do it and that's 70 percent actually doing it yourself um and so i think that is a uh, a really interesting um, model because what i've been able to build in terms of the strategy the metrics the approach is entirely unique if i was just following what somebody else did i would do it their way and when you actually do it and you actually have the foundational theory, you start to get into a place where you're able to be creative and think for yourself. I think very few people get to that place. They're just doing whatever someone else tells them. And all the magic is when you have the core foundational knowledge, and it's best if you actually have core foundational knowledge in a lot of things. So like, I have a background in electrical computer engineering. I think about building a marketing engine as if it was coding a microprocessor. You have a ton of inputs and outputs, you put some things in, you get some things out, there's data going in different ways, um, 
like that is one influence to how I do it. Another influence is just like be spending two years as a product manager that was focused on upstream marketing where all I cared about was going to visit customers and ask them deep questions and understand them better so I could figure out what products to build. Most marketers don't have that. And I was able to use that information to be empathetic to how customers actually buy things and how to actually communicate with them and how to understand what else they need to know. And so you put all these different influences together and you start to build your own approach. Um, but if you don't actually do it, you'd never get there. Do you treat those as almost like certain, like a, like a project based type of thing? Uh, I'm going to do marketing manager job for the next year, maybe the next two years. Uh, and then I'm going to do product manager uh, thing. And this is because I need to like combine that knowledge or it depends on the person. Um, I think that you need to let your career develop as it develops. I don't think there's a roadmap for anyone. Um, I ended up in a very different place than I thought I would have been 10 years ago, right? I thought I was actually going to be designing medical devices and look, here I am now. Um, so I think you have to have some flexibility in kind of like, for lack of a better thing, like living in the present and seeing the opportunity. You got to put yourself in the right positions to have the opportunities to change the way that you to kind of change your career. Um, but one thing that I will say about um, about marketers, especially in actually pr pretty much across the board, is that marketers have only experience in downstream marketing, only experience in comms, PR, post product being built. And have none of the upstream side strategy, positioning, product development, product roadmap, um, customer research, launch plans. Very few people actually like work on that side. Um, and I believe to be an exceptional marketer, you have to spend several years in both sides. What's um, if you were to narrow down one one thing that is you would call it your superpower? What would that be? that allowed you to, to get to where you are right now? Commitment. I did not expect that. I think it's very simple. Um, I mean, yeah, when I was underpaid at that company, getting good results, I can remember this vividly, working um, working from my bed at two in the morning on a Saturday on the phone with HubSpot support, working through like a use case of their product that they've never seen before. Like that is a level of commitment that 99.999% of people would never have. People my age 25 were drunk coming home from a bar at that night. And I was on the phone with HubSpot support doing that, that work because I was innovating. Um, and I, I do believe that is a, is a huge variable aside from the things that are un for back for in some people would say uncontrollable like right your intelligence is only a certain thing um your personality type is only a certain thing but um and and it wasn't that one instance like when i was 24 i was building in i was working for a company but from nine in the morning till four 
from nine at night until four in the morning, I was building an Amazon and Instagram e-commerce store, which then gave me all of these B2C insights that I applied to B2B companies three years later. And so like that, that level of effort is how you get to where I am and not be 50 years old is by spending a lot more time on those things, which then helps you. It just like, it's, it's accelerating, right? Like if somebody works 40 hours a week and I'm working 85 and my 85 are good, then I exponentially pass you. I pass by you very quickly. Um, and I, I mean, it's funny because, um, before I worked, before I started this company, I applied to a lot of jobs, um, a lot of VP marketing, um, head of marketing, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, at a lot of companies and almost every, uh, almost every company passed by me. Um, not experienced. They probably hired someone that's way more senior or this or this. And it was actually like a gift. I'm very grateful they passed by me because here I am. Um, and I probably wasn't meant for that anyway. Um, but people look and say, okay, that person's 50. They have experience. They don't recognize that, that my six years of experience are actually one more applicable to today. And the six, the six years of experience are actually 15 because of how much effort I put in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it really is a, a level of commitment that a majority of people don't even come close to understanding. What is the, um, this is actually brilliant. Um, speaks to a lot of things that I've heard from, uh, from I mean, pretty much everybody, everybody who does something great. <laughs> The, whatever the area it is, SEO, uh, basketball, doesn't really matter. They have all the mm-hmm. same same approach. On a surface level, it looks like whatever, but it goes way, way, way deeper. And there, behind that, there's always a lot more. Yeah, I mean, and um, he, you have a picture of Kobe Bryant on the wall, rest in peace. And people glorify that he would go to the gym and work out five times a day. But for some reason, somebody that wants to work for 16 hours a day doesn't have work-life balance. I don't see how these are anything different. Um, like if you really love something, why wouldn't you do it as much? Like the um, working from nine in the morning until one or nine at night till one in the morning, is like shooting at the gym for him all day. Like I just don't, I, I think people give blanket advice like you're a workaholic or blah 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 without actually thinking about the fact that they glorify athletes for the same amount of work ethic mm-hmm. yeah no yeah, absolutely um yeah. what, what is the uh what is the one new behavior or belief um that you have adopted in the <clears throat> last five years that have changed uh changed you considerably changed your life <coughs> I think uh, I think one that'll be really relevant to a lot of people, and it's one that I'm pushing really hard because it's literally so basic and so important, is just to go talk to your customers. And the people that don't use your product, 
and be curious and you learn a ton. Um, and so I continue, I continue to use that, um, lens when I speak with people because it gives me rapid insights to iterate. Like we've changed our positioning, our business model, our messaging like nine times already in this company. Our ICP has changed. Um, and most companies build it once and then never think about it again and don't think to iterate. And if they do iterate, it's based on the CEO's opinion, not actually what's going on in the customer's head. Um, and so I think that's probably the one that's most business applicable. Um, the one that I would say outside of work is kind of like the commitment one, but I think people might get some value out of it, which is just, I mean, I think you, I think people need to make a choice about what they want and get committed to that. Um, if you want to have a ton of friends and, um, don't work on weekends and do that, that's awesome. Um, but if you want to do something, um, whatever you want to do, just be committed to it. Um, and so I, I made that change probably like six years ago now. Well, was... I just started. I, I started to cut out the things that were no longer t bringing me to where I wanted to go. What did you become better at saying no to? What were the, some of the things? Um, going out on Friday nights. Um long weekends with friends. Um, taking less vacations, buy, um, buying less things. Um, it all comes down to just, uh, I think, just making that clear choice about what, whether or not one, I think here's a good way to put it. Mm. It's whether or not what, um, oh, one thing that I learned was that if I didn't want to do something, I no longer did it. At, when I was 23, I, I actually felt obligated. Like your friends invite you to go out. You actually feel like obligated to go. And at some point I just like didn't care anymore. It's like, okay, I don't want to do that. I'm going to, I'm not going to do it. Um, somebody asked me to, uh, to do something that I don't believe in at work and I think is unethical or for whatever reason, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so, uh, I think that is a, a really important one too. Sorry. I'm like my throat. It's all good. No, no, it's all good. Um, I, uh, I do like, I'll, I'll mention super quickly. I have a uh, um, few super quick questions before we wrap up. Um, I've, uh, I'm a big fan of David Goggins. You probably heard of the guy, uh, wrote a book. Big fan. Can't, yeah. can't hurt me. And, and uh, I, I can't believe how much he was able to figure out by himself without being uh, privileged, talented, uh, you know, like intelligent, whatever. But one thing that he says is like a lot of his stuff is exceedingly simple. But one thing he says that what separates people who, who get to a certain level from the ones that who don't is that they really want to be there. That's about it. Like there's nothing else. What was the, the what, what changed six years ago for you that you you became that much sharper? I think I just narrowed 
my focus. Um, I think a lot of people have uh, like nine balls in the air and therefore drop drop all nine of them uh, or, you know, are able to keep a couple going but not be exceptional at them. So I, um, I cut out a lot of the things. Like I, I live a very simple life now. Go to the gym. I work on my business. I spend time with my friends. Um, it's just like there's not a lot to it. Um, but a lot of people are going to go to the cooking class and then go painting and then play basketball for three days a week and then go snowboarding every weekend and then do this, which is great. Like I, I fully, for people that want to do that, it's awesome. Um, it's just not what I wanted to do. I wanted to go deep into a specific subject and become an expert, um, that I was passionate about. And I saw, and, and to be frank, I just saw a big opportunity, like the, how, how undervalued marketing is in these types of companies is ridiculous. And I recognized that six years ago. Um, and people are now starting to recognize it and come to me. But like when I started this company, like good, good luck going to try and sell, you know, an enterprise company on running Facebook, uh, enterprise B2B SaaS company on running Facebook ads. Nobody wants it. Um, but the ones that do are the ones that want to work with me and then have been open to experimenting are surely feeling the impact. And so, um, yeah, I, I think uh, just being if you want to be truly exceptional at something, I think it's about being narrowly focused on that thing. You mentioned some of the pretty extreme, uh, like working schedule, like working from like super early or to, or to the very, very late hours. What's your morning even routine looks like? What do you usually do? Yeah, I um, wake up somewhere between 4.55 and 5.15. Uh, I'm at the gym by six, I'm at home by 7.15. I uh, am ready to go at my desk by 7.45. I answer some stuff. I prep my LinkedIn posts. My LinkedIn posts are going out between 8.30 and 9.30. Um, the, the rest of the day is kind of variable, traveling, client work, meetings, um, sales calls, marketing, people on my team. Um, and that can go, you know, anywhere between, like, three in the afternoon and one in the morning, depending on what's going on that day. And then, uh, I try my best to get six to seven hours of sleep and I do it again. Right. Are, do, are you doing anything in the morning between the gym, the time you wake up, like journaling, meditation, any of those things? Uh, I haven't put a lot of those things into practice yet. I actually would consider like my, uh, my time at the gym to be meditation like, mm -hmm. um, because I, uh, I work really hard to a point where, um, like all you can think about is like, it's almost like a meditative state because of how hard you're pushing yourself. Um, so I think that's a, a, a substitute that's been working for me. Um, not what some people would call like a traditional form of meditation, but mm -hmm. has been, has been working. Um, I spend some time, uh, focused on like trying to focus my energy on a certain thing during the day 
but it's not, it hasn't been consistent yet. Um, not necessarily a task, but like an idea or a, um, a motion I'm trying to do a book with the people that I'm interacting with or, um, something like that. But again, not, not consistent right now. Are there any resources or books that you gifted the most, or would you would recommend to people to, to check out? Could be business, could be personal, could be biography, any, any style. Yeah. I, uh, I found, um, Seth Godin's book, The Icarus Deception, very interesting. Um, it almost reflected exactly what I realized five years ago. Like the, it, when I was reading it, it almost felt like the book was written. Like I, sh if the book, if I had read the book five years ago, I would have been mm -hmm. doing exactly what it said. Um, but I had already done it without even needing to read the book. I think a lot of people would get a lot of value in it, which is just challenging. I mean, in essence, challenging the way that society has trained your brain to think about things, the work schedule, being committed, having a balanced life, a lot of things that um, work for the masses because that's what you've been trained to do. Um, but that one I would offer for, for people was very inspiring. It was one that inspired me to kind of do what I'm doing mm -hmm. right now with this company. Um, and then for years, I have been a huge fan. I've read it tw uh, twice now which is Tom Goodwin's book called uh, Digital Darwinism, which challenges or, or better explains why companies refuse to innovate or why companies just purely cannot innovate mm -hmm. um, or disrupt themselves, um, which I find uh, very insightful and useful in everything that I'm doing, um, why companies can't change their MQL measurement why companies can't change the way the SD, the activities their SDRs do. As they get bigger, they become less and less able to change because the infrastructure that they've built relies on each other. They can't take their SDR team and change what they do because they have 65 AEs that need the demos, regardless of whether the demos close or not. Um, they can't change the way that their marketing runs because they're so reliant on the ebook MQLs because they have a hundred SDRs mouths to feed to follow people that don't want to talk to them. And so they start to, because they've created this infrastructure, the only way to fix it is to completely tear it down and no companies, there's two ways. It's to build something new on the side in parallel to what's running right now Companies don't do that because they refuse to invest in that. Yeah. It's like having two companies operating at once, two at least commercial sides. The other the other one is to completely tear it down and rebuild, and no company is willing to do that either. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, they become slow and resistant to change and vulnerable over time. Yeah, that's uh, that is so true. Chris, where is everybody can find you online? LinkedIn's the best place. Chris Walker on LinkedIn. I'll uh, link it below in the show notes uh, because your posts are phenomenal. And I think you should, and this is just my perspective as, as somebody who follows you, it will be good to have a place that those posts are visible at all times because they kind of fall down and then, you know, you actually don't see them for the value of those are, I think it's going to be, it's going to stick around for a very long time. Uh, so that will be good. What, to uh, what would you like, what would that look like? Yeah. Uh, even, even putting it on the blog will be better, uh, in my opinion. Blog or any mm -hmm. place where you could go in 
and see them in a simple way. Because for example, for me, I would like to, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm actually gonna go and copy paste all your posts for myself. Uh, but I'm gonna do it because like it's important, uh, but a lot of people won't. Um, and it will be a good idea if it's in a, in a blog, blog in a, even, yeah. in, even in a blog way. So it's like, it's not, it's not like falling down in the feed cause you're not gonna find it. That's one of the things that, that mm-hmm. where LinkedIn really sucks. Uh, because I think like I look at your post, not only from perspective of, oh, this is a great marketing advice. I look at it from a perspective of this is how you should cre- be creating content. This is how it works. This is the type of mm-hmm. format. Um, and I pay attention to like, here's the type of video you're doing. I look at, oh, you did those interviews and you didn't do it in a, in a way that we are doing. Um, but you're, you did it in a, in a really interesting way. I haven't seen a lot of people do it. You just have two people literally talking like uh, next to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a longer time, sometimes you would see a video for like two minutes. You did it for like 23, 25. And to me, that's really interesting. Uh, so, but again, this is just me as a marketer speaking, uh, but it would yeah. be good to have it in under like a portfolio sort of thing. Um, but because that's like the extremely practical advice. Um, and I've only found personally on LinkedIn from people that I follow, uh, I've only found Dave Gerhardt's posts to be similarly practical as yours. So I went to his profile a while ago and I literally like went through like a thousand thousand like posts and then I copy copy pasted them into like pages document and printed them out um, because I just felt it was important. It was important enough because that guy was like you, he was sharing stuff that he learned and uh, and also one thing I did learn from DC, from from David Cancel, uh, that you know, like you actually, it's the same thing as you pointed out. You share stuff for free, and this is exactly what you should do. And the best part is nobody's gonna do it. That's why Drift shared the emails the way they were using from 2016, and that's true. Like most people, are never gonna do it. They might copy one email, but they're never gonna do it for further because it's not important. But that's, a, I think it's like a longer term conversation it goes back to your commitment question. The, the case study that I put out, the core is doable. The nuances, when I say run Facebook and Instagram ads was the direction I gave, the nuances inside of just doing that thing are incredible. So even the 1% that attempts to do that, a majority of them will go to the distribution and not be able to do it. And I recognize that. And so like it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's strategy and there's execution. Everyone gets so fired up about strategy. Nobody can actually execute. It's the way it is. Exactly. Chris, are there any parting thoughts, anything I've missed that uh, you wanted to, to share with the audience? Um, I mean, this is for like some larger companies, but one of the things I've been uh, thinking about recently is um, like from a field marketing perspective, what they're actually doing. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot of like regional conferences that these people will sponsor that are by analysts or by a company and they'll all kind of get together and they'll pay ten thousand dollars to put their logo up on the screen and have a booth that nobody comes by and a couple hundred people will show up and like like that's and and they'll get nothing they might get they'll get a couple leads because that's like what they're there for they'll get no content out of it 
and they'll spend like people's time and blah, 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 blah. They'll go to the big trade shows. And I really want to challenge people to rethink their event strategy through the lens of the content from the event is more important than the actual event when amplified the right way. We use use the event. There's so many other benefits to doing the event, don't get me wrong. There's brand awareness, there's business development, there's relationship building, there's if you do it with partners, you either they're gonna promote it and you're gonna get awareness from their audience or all those things are great, but you're only touching the 50 people in the audience. Or if you're doing a bit, if you're buying a $50,000 trade show booth, you're only really touching the 80 people that walk by that you scan their badge. And so if you think about it from a, a cost per impression standpoint, that is ridiculous. But if you have the event, there's 50 people, you spend 10 grand on it, including the video, and you take that video and you distribute it to 100,000 people, you've just taken all of the impact of the yeah. event and you've yeah. lowered your CPM considerably and nobody thinks about it that way. So I would challenge people to go back, especially if you're spending more than a million dollars a year on events and really think about what I just said and challenge yourself to at least experiment with a different approach. Totally. Chris, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I think this is one of, well, def definitely the most insightful marketing interview that I did on the show by far. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. Thanks a lot for, for sharing your wisdom. Awesome, man. Thank you. That was Chris Walker, and I hope you guys loved the episode as much as I did because I thought what Chris was able to figure out was pretty incredible. Not only the, the depth and the practicality of his marketing knowledge, but it's also the system, the learning system he was able to figure out and apply over the last specifically six years that accelerated his growth so dramatically and the mindset behind commitment, behind putting in the work and practicing versus theory. Those are such an incredible experience examples of what you need to do to really achieve high performance and succeed and I absolutely love it. Now, if you guys want to hear more from me and not miss an episode, the next one and the next couple of ones, you can sign up for my email list that I recently relaunched. You can go on my website. It's on at sergeyross.live. It's S-E-R-G-E-Y, Ross, double S, dot live. And you can put in your email address. It's a weekly email with all the cool tips, tricks, and practical advice to improve your high performance, time management, your mindset, and some of the questions that you could be asking yourself to feel better and perform better every single day. On this note, I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.
That was Stefan Ridden. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and be sure to check out his book collection because it is pretty incredible and there's some inc- some books that are for sure going to provoke some interesting questions on your end and help you get answers for whatever you are trying to tackle, both professionally and personally. And also, uh, you can sign up for my email list, as I mentioned early in this show on my website. It's sergeyross.live. You can go there, you can put your email, and you'll get weekly tidbits with stuff like Stuff and Written's books and new books, new tools, tricks, time management stuff that you could be applying to improve what you're working on, get better, and have more satisfaction from more fulfillment from what you're doing on a daily basis. That's it for now. I will see you in the next episode. Cheers.